So, uh, have you ever had one of those days where you could uh, just wish that you could reach over and smack that reset button, just start all over again? Or a week like that? How about, uh, how about when it's like a month of just continuous things over and over and over again? Or what if we take it to a year where it seems like you just don't catch a break and you just want to smack that reset button four or five times over and over and over again? If you had that opportunity to press that button, you would have pressed it a long time ago. You would have started fresh from the beginning all over again, right? Well, we've been in this series called Reset the Preset. And when something's preset, that means that it's originally designed to function in a certain manner. It means that when you press it, touch it, put it into gear, whatever it is, it's supposed to function a specific way. And there will be these moments where the preset goes bad. I think about my mom, my mom's here today, and um, she was telling me about her car and she bought her car a while ago, brand new car. And since she got this brand new car, I don't even, I can't even count on my hands how many times her car has been in the shop because there's a, a glitch within the computer system and something's wrong with that preset. And I think about this, that in our lives, there are gonna be moments where there are gonna be those glitches. The preset's gonna go bad, it needs to be reset. And I've realized that in order for that to happen, we need Jesus. And there will be times in our lives and there have been times in our lives, and there will continue to be times in our lives until Jesus returns, that our preset will go bad and something needs reset. It's inevitable. I wish I could stand here today and tell you that don't worry, once the preset is reset, everything's gonna be good from here on out, but it won't. And in the midst of that reset, there are gonna be times when our attitude is gonna get a little off and our attitude needs to be reset. So this morning, I'm going to be very honest with you. When Pastor Jack had asked me to preach this message, I laughed internally. But my outward actions said the opposite. Out of a servant's heart and obedience, I said, yeah, sure, I'll preach this message. But on the inside, I was screaming. Because, see, I have been going through a journey of God resetting my attitude. And it hasn't been lovely. There have been good days and there have been bad days. I have come to discover that in my relationship with God, he is calling me to a place where he is wanting to reset my attitude. In various areas of how I view him, how I communicate with him, how I act with him, many different arenas like that. And if that wasn't good enough for the Lord, he decided to move into my area of my relationships and began working to reset my attitude in my relationships with people. And then out of, out of his joy, <laughs> he began to work into other areas of my life of resetting my attitude. And I began to realize that the only way I could have my attitude reset was to return to the scriptures. I could read 
40 different books on happiness and joy and self-help and changing my attitude and have a new attitude by Friday, you know? Um, If Kevin Lehman comes out with that, I get the royalties. But I could read all these books, I could listen to all these podcasts by great speakers, but that's not what's going to reset my attitude. It is only by the grace of God that the scriptures speak to us. It is the way he designed it. And so I have been camped out and I have been living in the word to the best of my ability that I could. And I have been walking through what it really means to reset my attitude. And so this morning, I'm going to walk with us through this portion found in the book of Philippians where we've been camped out. And I'm going to look at some areas for us and and talk to you about not only how it applies to my life, but how it applies to our life as a whole, as a community of faith. And what one thing I do know is this, I don't know a lot of things, but one thing I do know is this, is that our reset begins with unified thinking. I realize that we have so much knowledge at our fingertips via the internet, social media, podcasts, books, knowledge instantly, seconds. We can grab so much knowledge. But I've also realized that we have so much knowledge, but very little action to apply it. We have so much knowledge that we can't catch up physically to actually living out what we know. And one thing that I notice about the word of God is that when we return to the scriptures, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a way of slowing us down, not to just retain knowledge, but to have an understanding and then calls us to this place where we must apply it, that there must be physical action. Because resetting our attitude always brings us back to Jesus. In the Gospels, if you go back and you track and you look at the life of Jesus, there was this infamous moment that's talked about a lot. And it talks about him praying for the unity of the church. Church, capital C, the the universal church. He's praying And the very essence of his heart is being poured out in this prayer for the body of Christ. You can tell that this just isn't a a flippant prayer in the moment, but this is a choreographed prayer that he has put together, that he has been praying over and over, that has been recycling through his heart and his mind. And it seems as though this this could be the last time that he prays this prayer that we know of that's recorded in scripture. We're not sure. But he prays this prayer and he focuses in on the body of Christ. And out of all the things that he prays for, he prays for unity. I'm sure you're like, now wait a minute, how does unity have to do with resetting our attitude? Well, something that I've discovered in my personal life is that when my attitude is bad, I breed anger. I breed frustration. I breed irritation and bitterness. And once that becomes there, I begin to produce and everything flows out of me to those in my circle. 
and I've realized that I lost my joy. That's what happens when we have a bad attitude. We lose our joy. And I've discovered that lack of joy creates disunity. I know that's not in your notes, but you might want to write that down. Lack of joy creates disunity. I've come to experience that we cannot experience the fullness of unity without joy. Now show me those pearly lights and let's say joy together, joy. Joy. That's what I saw, joy. All right, let's try again. Put a nice smile on there. There we go. We love coming to spend time with God and each other. There we go, good. Let's cultivate that a little more. Now let's say joy. Joy, yes, joy. I understand where you're at because there's, there was a point in my life where I had lost that. So what is joy? I would ask myself that over and over and over again. And Jesus comes to us and he tells us, I have joy for you. But not only do I have joy just for you personally, but Jesus says, I have joy for the entirety of my bride, my community, my congregation. I have joy for everyone, not just one person, but I have complete joy that isn't reserved. I'm already willing to pour it out if you're just willing to ask. And so Jesus comes to us and he takes this key, this complete joy and he hands it to us and he just willingly gives it to us and we stand here and we're like what do I do with this but Paul knew Paul knew what to do with it and that's what we find in the book of Philippians Paul comes along and he looks at us and he says oh you have the key you have the key so let me just break open the doors And I'll show you how to retain that joy and live it out so that your attitude can be reset. And so this is where we pick up in Philippians chapter 2 today. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Now, this unity that Paul is talking about here isn't the type of unity that we normally yearn for. And you're, you're going to understand this as I say this. It's not, it's not moving away from those that oppose us. And then we have unity. It's not unity that he's talking about having like-minded people around us that, that agree with our philosophy, that agree with our theology, or that agree with our likes and dislikes. This isn't the type of unity that Paul is actually talking about here. Paul is talking about a greater unity. A unity that creates joy, that then resets our attitude. And Paul shows us and says to us, listen, if you want the joy that Jesus has for you, if you want to reset your attitude, you cannot, you cannot access that joy. You cannot re- reset your attitude without this specific unity that Paul talks about. And the definition of this unity that Paul is talking about is simply this. 
It is having a self-sacrificial love that only benefits others. You're like, Pastor, I was waiting for a really cool definition to that. That's all I got, people. That's the best definition. That is the scriptural definition that Paul's talking about. He says, if you want to have the joy that Jesus originally intended for you, that will reset your attitude spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically, then you must dive into this type of unity, not just yourself, but with everyone around you. You must have this self-sacrificial love that only carries the benefits for those around you. That's just plain hard. It means to consider others better than ourselves. Paul uses the word joy when he says that my joy may be complete. And in the Greek, if you translate that and break that down, it's actually the picture, it's associated with a picture of meaning to have your net, your net as a fisherman. And it means to cram your net full with joy. Not fish, but joy. And Paul's saying, my joy may be complete, that my net will be full and overflowing with joy. Now ask yourself this question this morning. Is my net overflowing with joy? I had to ask myself that question. You know, a lot of times with a bad attitude comes all kinds of different feelings, right? Blame. It's not my fault. It's their fault. Irritation. If they only know how to do it right, I should show them. Bitterness. That means our net isn't full. But Paul comes to us and he says, listen, I'm not talking about resetting your attitude individually. I'm talking about resetting your attitude corporately. See, it's amazing. When, sometimes when we read the book of Philippians, we take everything and we individualize scripture. And if we don't understand the context of the author when he is stating things, then we miss out. And there's a lot in these passages that unbeknownst to us that we take individually and we say, oh, this is for me, this is for me. But, but Paul is saying, no, 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 this is for the entire body of Christ. That yes, you have to reset your attitude personally. And then you must therefore reset your attitude together corporately. And the only way, the only way you can arrive, that you can get to that spot is if first you realize that your attitude needs reset and that you want the joy that Jesus has for you but you must come into this place of unified thinking, this place where I am willing to sacrificially love you above myself at all costs. Then your net will be complete and full of joy. So what does that look like? Give me the five steps, pastor. Give me the five steps and I'll do it. I wish it worked like that. I'll give you an application right now. Because as we work through this this morning, we're going to start with ourselves and then we're going to work all, our, all of our way all the way over to us together. 
because you're not alone in this. So I've had a complaining problem, hence my bad attitude, and my bad attitude only breathes complaining. It goes hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. So is the fruit. So I had this bad attitude and just in my life, I, you have to understand, I didn't have a personal vendetta towards individuals or an individual. It was just that I had come to this place emotionally and mentally and physically that my attitude had gone sour. It was like a bad apple. And if you know, you put a bad apple in a bushel of apples, eventually, slowly over time, it'll spread and it'll cause decay and everything through the entire thing. And so I realized the bad apple had to be removed so that the rest of the bushel wouldn't be spoiled. So one day I went before the Lord and I said, God, my attitude needs reset because I hate everything. And I said, Lord, I have lost my joy. I've lost my joy in everything. I said, God, my, my net is not full and it has a lot of holes in it because I'm losing joy. And as I began to sit before the Lord, I began to realize how much I complained to myself. It wasn't so much that I was like going around and complaining about 14 million things to everybody. It was just that I was internally complaining to myself. You ever come to this point where you begin to realize you're talking to yourself, but no one's around? I literally found myself talking to myself not talking to God. And I'm complaining to myself the whole entire time. And finally, God hits me and he says to me, you need to turn every complaint into a praise. I'm sorry, come again, Lord. You need to turn every complaint into a praise. So if you want application this morning, here's your application. Take the next month and turn every complaint into a praise. The first place you should start is Peach Street. (laughs) In about 15 to 20 minutes. (laughs) The Lord really began to convict my heart about my self-complaining. And as I began to consciously turn every complaint into praise, I began to notice my attitude began to reset. I started to regain joy. And I didn't see everything through a negative lens everywhere I went. And everything I process now begins to have a different light and a different understanding. There is power in praise. There's a word, a Hebrew word, and I can't pronounce it, so I don't want to butcher it. But there is a Hebrew word, and it's one word, and it simply means this. I will praise God even until my last breath. And I've held on to that with constant reminder that in that moment that I want to complain, 
I revert to praise. And I say, God, I will resort to praising you to my very last breath. And all of a sudden, things begin to stir in my heart. And that old saying of turn that frown upside down (laughs) comes into reality. Resetting our attitude is more than just having unity and joy. It means that we have to intentionally break through for others. Resetting our attitude is not just about us personally. A lot of times, we always talk to ourselves personally and we think on ourselves personally and a lot of our personal prayer is personal. But it's not always just about us. It's bigger than us. It has to do with everyone else around us. A great example of this is found in the book of Genesis. And you study the life of Jacob. Now, what do we know Jacob was known for? Deceiving. He was a deceiver, right? First thing, as soon as we hear Jacob, he's a deceiver. But there was more to it than that. And we can't miss out on what God was showing us. There's this moment where in the midst of Jacob's running, he encounters God. I can't even fathom what that moment must have been like. But he encounters God and they enter into a wrestling match. Now you would think any human being would have the right wisdom to tap out before they even begin, right? You're going against God. Jacob, on the other hand, says, "Uh uh-uh. Takes off his garments. He's like, let's go. Chalks up the old hands, puts the headgear on. I don't know if they really had that stuff. Just messing with you. But but he focuses in and he's like, let's go. Let's get it on. And they wrestle. And it says like almost till daybreak. And finally God says to him, you must let me go. And Jacob still keeps pressing. He's like, no, 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 no. No, uh-uh. No, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. Till you bless me. Get that? M-E. He doesn't say until you bless Israel, until you bless my family. No, he says, you're going to bless me. And so God, in his humor and his wisdom, he's like, oh yeah, I'll I'll bless you. Mm -hmm. I'll bless you real good. Mm -hmm. First, I'm going to bless your hip. And he puts his hip out of socket forever as a reminder of what had happened. And then God says, I will bless you and I will bless your family, but then I will will bless everyone else connected to you. Because it's not just about you, Jacob. It's about me. Capital M-E. I am. And see, that's what happens when God comes to us. When he comes to us and he says, I'm going to reset your attitude. We get all inwardly focused and we're like, oh, Lord, oh, not me, you know, and and we get all focused in and God's saying, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're a little bit of the piece of the puzzle, but this isn't about you. This is about everyone else around you. And this is about me, capital M-E, not lowercase M-E. We have to remember that God designed us to be communal. That means everything that we do individually, personally, that we do affects our community as a whole. And that means when our attitude changes, 
It's like that bushel of apples. One rotten apple slowly begins to work its way in through the entire bushel. Attitude changes. It's like a pond with a ripple effect that if you stand on the edge of a pond that has been quiet and still for a period of time, there's no movement. But when you pick up that big rock and you chuck it into the center of that pond, it makes a ripple effect that goes out from the center and it works its way all the way to the outer edges and nothing is untouched. And Paul addresses this in Philippians. Pick up with me at verse three. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I talked about we have to intentionally break through for for others. But first, we have to intentionally break out of ourselves before we can intentionally break through for others. And the way we intentionally break out of ourselves is returning to that place of joy, realizing that we've lost our joy and our attitude needs reset. And then we realize that, oh, the way my net is filled with joy is when I self-sacrifice and I love others above myself. And I give them my best. And as Paul says, my joy will be complete. And so when we come to that realization, then we begin to realize, okay, I need to be focused on others. So that means whatever my personal victories are that I gain, I realize I'm carrying them into the corporate battle. Oh, well, that kind of changes everything, doesn't it? What I do in private... I carry in corporately. And whatever victories I gain and whatever I overcome, I bring it into the corporate battle. And therefore, I'm not a liability, but I'm strength to the rest of the community. But what I do in private and I bring corporately, I can be a liability. And we return to unified thinking. Because if we have unified thinking, then our attitude is reset and we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. One, I can't indulge in this because one, it will not glorify the Father. But two, not only that, I carry this into the corporate battle. I carry this into community. So therefore, Paul says, I must, I must put others first self-sacrificially. Wow. 
That's why Paul says, don't do these specific things. Don't do these specific things with your time or with your energy because you'll be a liability instead of breaking through for others. I realize that if we carry an attitude opposite of Christ Jesus into battle with the community of faith, see, we have to understand that our attitude is like a weapon. We have the ability to kill with our attitude or we have the ability to bring life with our attitude. And if we carry our attitude into battle with the rest of the community of Christ that is contradictory to the life of Jesus, then we will cost the battle. I want you to think about that for a moment. The way we demonstrate the attitude of Christ, Paul tells us we have the mind of Christ. We intentionally choose to live from his likeness and not ours. And I'll be honest with you, it's extremely tough. It's extremely tough. And I wish I could stand here and say, hey guys, don't worry, I got this down. Just follow my lead. (laughs) Don't follow me. I wish I could say that, hey, you know what? I got this self-sacrificial love thing down. And this is all you got to do, A, B, C, D. But I don't. God continuously tests me. And he continuously puts me into places and says, what are you going to do about that? You want your attitude reset, right? Well, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use this to reset your attitude. It is a journey. But now we can no longer claim ignorance because we have been spoken with truth. And therefore, we have witnessed it. So therefore, when Jesus comes to us and says, by the way, we can't say, oh, wait, I'm sorry. What? Come again? I didn't, uh, I don't understand. And he can say, no, 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 no. You're accountable to me because of my word. And living in that likeness of Christ, as Paul tells us, is to have humility and servanthood among each other. Application number two, how do I break through for others? This is where we serve one another in humility. What if, what if when we are in our private time of prayer, just us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what if we are in our private time of prayer and when somebody says to us, will you pray for me about this subject? What if when we take that subject into that place of prayer with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and when we get in there, instead of just, you know, God, I pray for so-and-so, and and I pray X, Y, Z, and then we're done and we move on to the next thing. What if, what if we would pause? What if we would put our cell phone away so we can't see the clock? Or answer an email really quick? Or respond to a text really quick. What if we gave God the wholeness of our intentions and focus and we come before him and we sit with that prayer request and then we say to God, God, so-and-so came to me and they asked me to pray for this situation. But I know that this, 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 and this, and this is going on in their life. So, 
I don't know how I should pray. That's not serving in humility. God, I know so-and-so came to me and they asked me to pray, but Sally told me, but Bob told me at the plant about, you know, and God, you know, I mean, I don't need to elaborate because you're God. So I don't know how to pray, but I'm just going to say I prayed for them. What if, what if we changed and reset our attitude that we come before them and instead of looking them at face value, judging the book by its cover, what if we stop coming before the Lord and saying, but God, da, 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 checking off the list of what we know about them. And we pause and we say, Father, I'm going to serve this person in humility And I know that in heaven, there is a viewpoint that you have of them that is far greater and different than what I see and what I know. So I'm going to wait here, and I'm going to wait for you to tell me how you view them, how you see them, how you approach them, the words that filter through heaven when their name is mentioned. I'm going to wait for you until you tell me that. And once I hear it, I'm going to pray that for them. That is serving one another in humility. That is an application to breaking through for others. Finally, when we reset our attitude, We'll stop wasting time. I mentioned this before when I preach, but for those of you who are close to me, you know that I live by a set of core values. I literally have core values that I took time, that I wrote down, that I read every day and remind myself that these things are what I do to keep on track. And one of those core values is is that my time is expensive. And the reason my time is expensive is because A year ago, I came to this place in my relationship with the Lord that I realized that I was chasing unicorns. (laughs) Now, unicorns don't exist, but that's one another. One of my values is this. I don't chase unicorns. Unicorns are fantasy. And that's my own little way to remind myself, stop chasing fantasies. Stop wasting your time with things that don't matter. And I came to the realization that It's not my time that I'm wasting. It's God's time that I'm wasting. He's the keeper of time. And I came to realize that if I love God with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul and all of my strength, then even my time would be submitted to him that I wouldn't waste it, but that I would be intentional with what I do. And so everything that I do, I'm very intentional with. But at the same time, I make and leave space for the Holy Spirit to move. That in those moments when my schedule gets a little rocky and things come up that I need to take care of because somebody is in need, I say to the Holy Spirit, okay. And I back away and I say, here I am. It's your time. And two ways that I notice for me personally, that I would waste time was one, because I was self-focused, and two, because I was complaining. And I already addressed the whole complaining thing and a little bit of self-focus, but Paul Paul just sums it up real good in, in, in verse 12. Let's read this together. 
Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but not much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then you will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. We're going to stop there. If you have a pen and you're taking notes or whatever, I encourage you to circle that word your, about work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. That's an important word because you highlight this phrase in there where Paul says, be energetic about your salvation. And a lot of times we take that to heart. And for those who have been, you know, following Jesus for X amount of years, we grab hold of that scripture and we say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And yeah, there's truth to that. There is truth to that. We have to work out our personal salvation with God. But the thing is in here is Paul is saying to us, this is a corporate working out. He's not saying work this out individually because he already addressed that previously in the scriptures. He's working his way down through this letter and he's saying, now listen, we've worked on you individually. We've worked on this and I've encouraged you and I've worked with you and I've told you individually, but we got to address here corporately. And so he works his way down into this letter and that word your is actually plural for the entire congregation, for the community of faith. It's not singular meaning for you directly. So he says to us, he says, together as a whole, energetically work out your salvation. And he says, with fear and trembling, and that phrase, fear and trembling, is the picture of a slave submitted to his master. Now, I know some of you here are going to be like, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't, don't get on this tangent, you know, uh, you know, but God says we're not slaves and, you know, you know we're, you know, yes, I, I agree 100%, but follow me. Paul is using the picture here of a slave to his master, that the slave understands the seriousness of the relationship between the two, that the slave does not take it lightly. And Paul puts it in here and he says to the church, you as a whole are to work out your salvation in deep seriousness. And stop wasting time. And he says, work it out with extreme seriousness. Because you are to be an example to those that are around you that do not know Christ. And that you live in such a way together and you're serious about it that it's not nonchalant. Because not only that, you understand, he says, that salvation of the entire world is serious stuff. So he says, don't waste your time chasing unicorns because this is serious stuff. So how do we work out our salvation? 
We work it together by not complaining about each other. I'll just repeat that one more time. We, we work it out together without complaining about each other. That means we turn every complaint into praise. So when we want to complain about somebody, we turn it into a praise. And not a sarcastic praise, a real heartfelt praise that honors God. How do we work out our salvation? We stop wasting time and we stop wasting our energy about thinking and acting in ways that would cut each other down. We stop wasting time of how we can get even, how we can receive our justice. We stop wasting time and energy doubting each other, mentally, verbally, and with our actions. And we stop wasting time and energy questioning one another, whether you're good enough or spiritual enough to do what you're called to do. We take all of that and our attitude begins to be reset for the common purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ together as one. Would you stand with me? Father, this morning, your word has been spoken, and I pray that because your word is living and active, that it has pierced our hearts, and Father, that it has gone deep within us, that the conviction of your Holy Spirit would spread through our veins, through our soul, through our spirit, and disrupt us. Father, in those moments when our attitude contradicts yours, may we be minded of the encouragement that Paul gives us in your word. And may it drive us closer to you and not further from you, but only closer to you and that we will be driven to apply what it is that you have called us to. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace that enables us to live these things out for you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great, joy-filled week.